0: Hello, I'm Emma Rice, the Artistic Director of Wise Children, and you're listening to Wise Children's Lockdown. Our lockdown project is about us finding ways of staying close to each other. On this show, I call up an old friend, play some records, and most importantly, get to chat and reminisce. Come and join us for Tea and Biscuits. And welcome to Wise Children's Lockdown Tea and Biscuits. And today I am talking to my dear, dear friend, Kezia Saro. Hi, Kezia. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) That was brilliantly loud, as I am this morning. (laughs) Um, Kezia, tell me, um, where are you? How's your lockdown three gone? Um, Paint me a picture
1: so i am currently in bristol uh in i'm actually in my room my kind of room of one's own at long last i've made it i feel like uh, no i've been in i moved to bristol about two years ago one of which has been spent in lockdown so i've had quite a strange experience um and I I feel like I've probably got to know myself in forensic detail over the last year. (laughs) I've got to a point where I've even started drawing characters of my own demons in lockdown. Um, And I think... Yeah, it's been all right. I feel like I've exhausted lockdown a little bit. I've done the sewing, I've done the cooking, I've done my saxophone skills, they're creeping up. I've even discovered, like, names of trees because I got so bored of walking in a park. been writing, drawing. I've even got new glasses because of screen time. Anyways, I've done all of that. You've exhausted Um, your creativity on your own. I think so. (laughs) I think think I've got pretty deep... (laughs)
0: Oh, God, I, well, you've done better than me. I, I've, I've exhausted... I don't think I have any creativity on my own, I think is what I've discovered. I, I like being with other people, and I'm exhausted now with trying to fill my days.
1: Yeah, it's a strange thing, feeling like everything has to come from yourself. I am just so aching for something to come and shake my world at the moment. But, yeah... But surviving. Well, yeah.
0: Um, in a, in the most domestic question ever, I have to ask you what your chosen biscuit is. And for people listening who might not know Kezia, um, and you wouldn't know this from her amazing English accent, Kezia is French. So I'm hoping for something European in your biscuit choice. Am I going to get lucky?
1: Well, yes and no, I um, <laughs> I knew you'd ask me that question. Um... I have decided to choose a Biscoff. A Biscoff because I think it's an underrated biscuit, but also because on the Eurostar, between France and England, when you buy your little cup of tea or cup of coffee, they give you an individually wrapped Biscoff. And I find that both ridiculous and really pleasing. And it's also the base of my mum's cheesecake <gasps> she would use biscoffs so
0: and i love I've it immediately gone from biscoffs to cheesecake <laughs> i feel like i'm salivating already excellent um tell me about your first record choice and why you've chosen it
1: so i've chosen Serge Gainsbourg um which is actually in a reggae version. It's actually the uh, French national anthem sung by serge Gainsbourg, who's a French artist. And I guess, so two things. One is, I don't think you'll remember this, but the first time ever I came to the asylum, I think you were rehearsing the Red Shoes and there was a kind of turnaround where, I think it was the King of Prussia was going to come into rehearsal. And as I walked in, you sort of turned around you went oh hi kezia we hadn't actually worked on a show together yet at that point and you said oh yeah can you go and help with that thing over there and that thing over there and immediately the whole company was like oh great kezia come along let's do this and let's move this trunk around and let's do that and they were just the musicians were preparing to rehearse the king of prussia and they were rehearsing the marseillaise uh, which was the french national anthem And I remember Stu Barker coming up and saying, what a cracking tune that was. What an amazing tune. And I guess it sort of represents me leaving France. And I'm not a fan of Serge Gainsbourg. I knew when I left France that I left because I felt as a sort of non-academic young director, that it was just a bit limited and something you sort of fully embraced about me, I think. And... I just feel this tune is the machism and the sort of France I had enough of that I was waving goodbye to, so that's like my little wave goodbye to France as I came to meet uh, the UK.
2: Ouais. C'est génial, c'est féro.
0: I just feel that he plays into the archetypes of the French. I mean, he doesn't put too much into it, does he?
1: No, I think his (laughs) famous movement with, what was it, Whitney Houston, (laughs) I want to... sort of sums it all up. (laughs) And as much as I really like this song, I sort of feel like when I have any regrets of like, oh, do I want to go back and live in France? It's just... Joyfully listen to Gazaboo, sing along, enjoy it, and think, "Nah, that's really good where I am." Oh, that's a brilliant
0: memory of you coming to the asylum, though. Because, I, but the, in preparation for this, I can't piece together our journey. I mean, my brain's gone sort of my memory is like a patchwork quilt. It doesn't really work in a linear way. But we met when you the roundhouse got in touch with me and asked me to come in and do a bit of mentoring with you and you were working on a circus project. And I mean that's I just remember that. I just thought you were fantastic from the minute we met. Um your sort of clarity and energy. And we worked on that project a bit, but um I, I, you just stuck with me I just thought What a brilliant young woman um, And and it's what I do in life I suppose You collect people Because you think Oh well I'm going to find There's going to be a journey with her And um I think, but you might have to put me right, the, the next thing that happened is we, we kept a bit in touch through that mentoring scheme. But I then started working on the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which was, of course, a classic French piece of work. And I thought, well, perfect. So you came on board to assist, um, assist on that. But you must have come to the asylum before you started to work on Umbrellas of Cherbourg. So I must have been asking you to move trunks and plug in speakers before we did Umbrellas.
1: I think, yeah, I think um, I was doing this project, uh, co-directing this show, at The Roundhouse Circus Show, and I was as just as young as the artist, and I felt like a bit of mentoring wouldn't do me any harm, and I really begged the producers to get in touch with you, um, which... Um, you came and I just remember you getting like a set of juggling balls that we had in the back of the rehearsal and saying Right Kezia, I would like you to dispose these juggling balls as how you feel in the rehearsal space And they sort of blew my mind, I was like, oh my god, she's amazing She's got the whole vision of a company, you know, that just like summed it up for me And I've kind of always used that since But um, I think it was that. And then we knew, I think you knew you are going to do, I was going to assist you on The Umbrellas. And the summer before I came to the asylum um, at that point. Um, And then, yeah, The Umbrellas of Sherbal was the first show I assisted you on. And it was memorable. Not only was it an amazing show, but I kind of discovered your way of working. I remember... I think it was dom marsh having seven under dresses in his costume it was that kind of like he would rush off stage and like velcro off layer one and just like rush back on as a different character he
0: was doubling the sort of sinister romantic lead and the dying aunt so he was having to do quite
1: big costume changes wasn't he But then he also went to war and he had to be in the... Ar- he suddenly had to wear all the army outfit. And that was staged at the top of a platform. So he would, like, rush off stage, climb the platform while getting off his Velcro and then suddenly appearing as this, like, um, um, French soldier fighting o- Algeria at the time. But we, um, we... It was an amazing time, that, because...
0: I was so naive. I was so naive. I just thought, there's this amazing little unusual French film. Yeah, you know, I loved the fact, the thing I loved about Umbrellas was how strange it was musically. Um, and the, the ending was very unromantic. It was very un-English. I loved that, you know, the, this big love affair sort of vanished into... There's a wonderful moment at the end of Umbrellas where these two passionate young lovers meet again. And... And in fact, they've had a child together, but he's never met the child. And she says, would you, would you like to meet your daughter? And he says, no. <laughs> and so they go back into their lives again. And I was just thinking, I loved it because I thought no English film would ever have this. And certainly no American film would ever have this. That sort of life moves on in strange ways. But, but what I didn't anticipate is that foray into the commercial world all the pressures that were on that production from the west end um it, it failed magnificently for anybody who doesn't know that so that the end of the story is sort of um it's sort of a bit tragic apart from we all loved it we loved making this show but in the midst of me making a show for for quite naive reasons in a commercial world we also were dealing with michelle legrand the multiple oscar winner and Agnes Farder, the widow of... Well, the amazing avant-garde French filmmaker who was the widow of Jacques Demy. Um, and your Frenchness came into its own in that time, didn't it, Kezia?
1: <laughs> I remember sitting with you in the production office at the Curve in Leicester, all, both on the phone, because you were like, I don't understand what she's saying, but she's shouting, Kezia, just help me, she's shouting. And just trying to, like reason with her that you weren't trying to destroy her piece and 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 sort of, yeah, We I guess we were caught up in something that was I mean, at least you were a bit bigger than what you'd anticipated and you're right, the naivety of thinking we're just making a show but suddenly we had a whole world of dynamics of people like a dead writer and like his legacy and all the complications of what the work should be like on I one made,
0: hand. I, I made one of... I mean, I, I came to it as I always come to work, which is what can I bring to it? And one of the things I brought to it, th- I thought it needed a bit of form and a bit of fun. Um, and I created this character called Le Maîtresse um, for Meow Meow. And she was sort of the storyteller, but she wasn't the Maîtresse, first of all. She was called Lola because... Um, there was a song in it that referenced a woman called Lola who existed in another Jacques Demy film. And I thought, well, this is really clever. He obviously wove this character through. Well, I'll weave this character through. But that was the thing that sent Agnes Varda over the top, wasn't it? That I had that just sort of destroyed... She felt that I'd destroyed two films by taking an idea and transplanting it across, which is, um... Oh, well, I, I can't even go there, really. I mean, it was so the opposite of destruction in my mind it was trying to understand Jacques me, and trying to open up this piece of work to a new audience with an open heart but it got quite heated didn't it I was shouted at a lot in French and I often think only you know what she actually said
1: (laughs) (laughs) I would never reveal but we actually had to get there I remember having to, to get all of her, da- her daughter her children over to Leicester so that they could see what we were making yeah it was not boring was it definitely not but it was a beautiful show oh, and meow meow all our hearts didn't we yeah we really did what were you going to say about meow meow well, she really honoured those songs, I think. She added so much to it, it was such a good idea. I mean, it was, it would have been, it was so silly to oppose it. It was such a good idea. And Meow Meow did it with such grace and such humour. Um, but it was undeniably right for the show, I'd say. Oh, and she, oh, I should have chosen that. When
0: she, she stopped the show with Sans didn't she? That beautiful, beautiful French song. Yeah. Um, but I didn't choose that. I have chosen the most French funny bits of umbrellas, which is the opening, the garage. And I mean this just sums up the nuttiness of this amazing piece of work. It's French, it's jazz, it's sung through, and this is just a group of simple mechanics discussing mending cars.
2: Oh, shit. C'est toi qui as fait la station de monsieur Oui. Station complète le 26, n'est-ce pas, monsieur Oui. Monsieur a coulé deux bielle ce matin même. Et son moteur est à refaire. Un moteur neuf il n'avait plus une goutte d'huile. Et alors Je n'accuse personne, mais le fait est là, je suis vraiment navré. Avais-tu bien vérifié le niveau d'huile Évidemment. Tu n'avais pas resserré le bouchon de vidange. Je connais mon métier. Je te prierai de me parler sur un autre ton. Et de te faire des excuses à monsieur Je n'ai pas à m'excuser, je n'y suis pour rien. depuis puis, tonton, tu te fous de ton travail. Tu pourrais te payer une autre combinaison et traser avant de venir à l'atelier. Alors, ça suffit comme ça, j'irai travailler ailleurs. Boucher Ah, le petit con, depuis qu'il a quitté l'armée, il se conduit comme le dernier des voyous. Ben, qu'est-ce qui te prend Je quitte la boîte. Je me suis engueulé avec Aubin. J'ai pris les devants Et maintenant, qu'est-ce que tu vas faire Vivre de mes rentes
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness, I love that extract. They're literally singing, having a French argument It's brilliant <laughs> <laughs> talking about mechanics
0: <laughs> give us a bit a quick translation of one of the most magnificent lines
1: um, you should have come to the workshop with a better dressed best in your like your suit, a better suit okay
0: <laughs> <laughs> all in the most magnificent jazz, oh I loved that I loved that show and it was so full of emotions and love and, and an ultimate failure which I don't think I'll ever understand
1: yeah. And I think like what you were saying earlier about the sort of love story, the unexpected love story, and I really feel I see that a lot in your work, that the love the fairy tale love um, is might not be reality and that the reality is just as exciting. And it's all right. We don't need to make a fairy tale out of love. The reality is just as exciting. Aww. Tell me about your second record and why. So I have chosen Purple Rain by Prince. I kind of underestimated Prince, I think, a little bit as I underrated him as an artist. And I've chosen it because it makes me think of our time at the Globe, which I feel was a real sort of purple rain moment. And I think it's such a shame the friendship had to end. But it's also... At the Globe, that I met Dave Johnsey, who's now my love of my life and my partner. He was up on the balcony playing music for one of your shows, Twelfth Night. And I was at the, like in the pit, waving at him, oh Romeo, Uh, whilst he was in his kilt. And he's a big Prince fan. And so for all these reasons, and because Prince is sexy, he's uncompromised, he's hugely talented, he's got a fantastic sense of company, he's got a wild style, which I think you do too. Not quite as as crazy as Prince, but you definitely like style, and maybe we can talk about your haircuts and some hair moments at the Globe as well. (laughs) Um, But anyways, those are the reasons is I just felt that the globe for me was one of those hopeful purple rain moments that came full of love and colour
3: I never meant to call you in your sorrow
4: I never meant to call you in your pain i don't want, to want-
0: I love and thank you for all the poetic reasons you've chosen that and it made me want to cry but I also thank you because we did stand in some of the most torrential rain I have ever stood in at the globe as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think on midsummer's Night's stream we started we started with snow then we went through like torrential rain and ended up with a heat wave. It was like okay, the globe is showing us all of its elements. <laughs> And there was like, because there's always at the globe, there's always these voices coming up to you, sort of telling you how sacred this place is. And they sort of come up to you and say, yes, this is, you know, this is it. This is the globe opening its arms to you. And we were like, yeah, but it's freezing and it's wet. <laughs> um, but I just yeah, definitely, there was, there was a lot of weather.
0: A lot of weather. So yeah, I when I got the job at the Globe, I felt I was going to need going to need a fantastic team around me, and you were the person I knew that I wanted by my side. So you came in as my associate director and did an amazing job, an absolutely amazing job. Not only assisting me and um, and all of that, but by really putting in understudies which had never been at the Globe and they might have gone again now, I don't know, but um, it felt sort of crazy to have this big business working in the open air with um, no... Security around it, no foundations, and there was quite a lot of historic moments which had gone down in history of the Globe when you know Mark Rylance would go on as an understudy or somebody would go on with a book, and I thought, no, we're not going to have that. We're going to have understudies, and that will create an opportunity for young actors and an opportunity for assistant directors so that's the other thing you worked on is bringing in a meaningful role for assistant directors who were paid who stayed throughout the run who worked with the understudies and and were trained as well and you did an amazing job um artistically and sort of as a business changing the business model it was an amazing time and we did that from the start i'm going to hand over to you to bring your memories but we started off in the in the car park we weren't allowed in the building so we had a sort of (laughs) we were in the car park we had this sort of breeze block cube and we loved it didn't we we had a sofa and we had some nice and tea making facilities and we just lived there for about six months meeting people dreaming um before the big tsunami hit us but tell me about those early days
1: yeah, I think, well, first start the understudies, I think that's the thing I learned is I'd obviously rehearsed quite a lot of uh, some understudies for your previous shows. And, and then I sort of realised that we're dealing with Shakespeare in most of these shows and that the lines that we were asking the actors to learn were suddenly like 500 pages of Shakespeare. Yeah, and so it was like a whole different kind of technique that we tried to to find at that point. But yeah, the early days in the So at first, you were not. So when you came into the globe, I think Dominic was still in place while you were planning the season, and we'd allocated you. This room in the parking lot, which sort of became a kind of cave. And you'd made it, I mean, I remember walking in there in the morning and you were like washing your hair in the sink and like, hello. hello. Um, again, the hair. Um, but, um, and then but I remember you'd arranged it with, it was sort of quite magical because it was like you had this great big red velour sofa with some fairy lights on top. And I remember some of the, of course, you would come into a building and some of the, uh, I'd say, uh, uh, traditionalists that had worked there for years would come into this room and you'd sort of go, of course, come in, sit on my red velour fo- sofa. And there was just, just by doing that, just by staging that meeting in that way, it would completely invert the dynamics, which I think they'd they'd been used to up until then. In, in a great way. And it was such a, I think it was such a hopeful period. It felt like anything was possible. Like, it felt like you could change so many things. And the energy that you had at that time, I mean, it was monstrous. Like, you were up for all of it, all of it. Um. And we did I remember the wonder warm-ups as well, which yeah. for me is a big highlight yeah um, where the audience were was invited to join the company for a warm-up and it was sort of open to public people and we'd find like like because we couldn't advertise it too much or for whatever reasons but we'd kind of had like this tourist with his like camcorder who just walked in and started joining a a warm-up with the Imogen company or something like that and it was it was like little moments like that that I found were quite magical actually which sort of slipped through the nets.
0: It was it was one of the
1: things one of the many things I loved about the
0: globe was how porous it was it felt like you could just be walking along the river and just literally step two meters and be in a theater and and for £5 pounds you could come and watch a play and I loved it it felt so democratic um, and I that, that was one of the ideas of just getting people to come in just getting them to enjoy it everything was politicised there so it was actually a great it was a really simple idea that took a lot of determination on your part to make it happen but it was really exciting just anybody come warm up with us once a week and it yeah. There was a short period but it was such fun wasn't it exhilarating
1: and you're right. I mean, there was that thing I remember sitting in a meeting, I think because we were trying to implement also cross department sort of collaboration so that we get the whole building functioning together, I think. And there was this, this. I so remember this meeting where we wanted to bring something new um, and get the departments to help to, to sort of collaborate together. And suddenly... We sort of thought we were gonna meet with three people and sort of suddenly fifteen turned up. We were like, okay. And then we had to go around the whole table and everybody was, Well, I don't think it's a good idea because of this and I don't think it's a good idea because of that. And I don't. And at the end of it it sort of turned round and we went, Okay, so any good suggestions to go through all these problems and it was literally the attitude is going, Okay, there's gonna be problems, but let's let's like openly just try and solve them. I used to, I feel rude, I haven't really talked about The Globe
0: much, but it used to be like a theatre game, didn't it? That we'd go in with an idea and by the time you'd reached the circle everybody had told us why it was impossible to do it which became almost funny didn't it there was a time where it was, surely something is possible in this building but i would say that's where you come in is you're right i was full i was you know i, I realized the scale of the challenge and was so up for it but you were absolutely the engine beside me just making these things happen Making so many contacts within the building, and just not giving up. I gave up earlier than you on many things. I think the wonder warmups was one of them. I think I said this is too much of a fight, and you going, no, just leave it with me, Emma. I'm gonna. Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna have thank a you, Emma. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. Oh gosh, and it, it's it's funny remembering that time in the car park because I didn't have anywhere to live in London at that point. So I was I was in digs. I had a room. With some, with a couple that had a young baby and cats, and I, have, I wasn't sleeping much. I, it was a time of terrible insomnia for me, or so, me. So I would get up at five, and come into work and sort of like have a flannel in the office and wash my it it was a working sink wasn't it it was it wasn't like a posh sink it was like one of those Belfast um no I think it was designed
1: yeah it was designed for the I think for doing dyeing for the costume department so it was like one of those Belfast sink with like tiny little taps so you had to really put your head right in the middle of the right inside the sink
0: but you know it felt like the beginning of something that was yeah i wanted to throw everything at it and you were with me all the way um i'm going to come back to the globe after this but it's my turn and i'm going to go off subject because i'm still staying with the french with you because i can't help it it's what you are maybe your red wine and delicious snacks always will be um i'm going to do a PF. Um, another amazing, tiny, passionate, brilliant French woman um, And Mon Ménage à Moi Which is the song that we had in Mallory Towers And because I like to call on Kezia regularly for many things You came in to help us translate this And understand this brilliant French song That my Mallory Towers girls sang
5: tu me fais la tête Mon ménage à moi c'est toi Je suis toujours un à... Fête. Quand tu me tiens dans tes bras Je ferai le tour du monde Ça ne tournerait pas plus que ça La terre n'est pas assez ronde Pour m'étourdir autant que toi Parce qu'on est bien tous les deux Quand on est ensemble nous deux Quelle vie on a tous les deux Quand on s'aime comme nous deux On pourrait changer de planète Tant que j'ai mon cœur près du tien J'entends les flancs de la fête Et la terre n'y est pour Puis parlons-en de la terre pour qui elle se prend la terre ma parole il ya qu'elle sur terre il ya qu'elle pour faire tant de mystère mais pour nous y a pas de problème car c'est pour la vie qu'on s'aime et s'il n'y avait pas de vie même nous on s'aimerait quand Me fait tourner la tête. Mon manège à moi c'est toi. Je suis toujours à la fête quand tu me tiens dans tes bras. Je ferai le tour du monde, ça ne tournerait pas plus que ça. Tout dire autant toi. Je ferai le tour du monde, ça ne tournerait pas.
0: Can we make a pact that when this wretched pandemic is under control, that we do at least one trip to France together, or you meet me in Paris?
1: Yeah, I would love that. I am so dying to go back there, and also to go to Paris with, I can show you the Parisian life. That's, I really want We can have café. In
0: our years of friendship, it's all been on this side of the channel, and I want to be in France, seeing things that I wouldn't normally see and hanging out with you in your true French style. Because I do, you have brought, I think of you, you taught me how to drink red wine. You sat in my, you sat in my sitting room in Cornwall, I think, literally saying, no, don't drink it yet. Wait for it. (laughs) Take a little bit, (laughs) savour it. Don't rush. (laughs) You've taught me how to drink wine. Um, You made, you brought me wine for, um, for the first Wanda season, which was, had um the globe you you had labels printed for the wonder season and then there was a terrible disaster and the shelf fell down and the wine bottles smashed do you remember it was like there'd been a murder in the globe office because there was red wine everywhere but i saved the labels and i still have them in my scrapbooks my globe scrapbooks i was so touched i did drink some of the wine but some of it was splashed across the walls as if we'd had a great night out
1: Emma, I've got a confession. I've still got one bottle of that wine. So when we will be in Paris, we can open it and drink it.
0: That makes me so happy. <laughs> so <laughs> stupidly, stupidly happy. I find um I was I find it um all a little bit of a blur, the globe. I and mean, I did one of these with Matthew Dunster and who was another person that was sort of with us all the way and I feel a bit embarrassed in in hindsight. I feel because um, I, I, I can't sort of pick it apart. I was it was so emotional a lot of it, and I and it was so secret a lot of it that it it wasn't processed. And I feel I, I feel worried that I cried all the time. <laughs> and I I suppose I want to say thank you for because I feel that you not only did you do such a phenomenal job in professionalising and changing and giving such an amazing experience to young actors and young directors by my side. But I think you soaked up an awful lot of
1: distress. Well, thank you. And um, it was a distressing time. I, I sort of more remember you coming out of your office, dancing and falling on your sofa, on the sofa in the midst of the office, than I remember you crying, if I'm honest. But it was certainly a heartbreaking moment um, for you and for everybody on the team, especially the technical team, who fully believed in it. And yeah, I think somehow the idea of you—they liked the idea of you more than the reality. I mean, yeah, it, it was—it's sad. But I still look back and see it as a, as a purple rain moment of hope and where things were possible. And sadly, the friendship had to end, that's for sure. But
0: it was brilliant. And, you know, and it, I, I certainly, the the work, I don't regret a single moment of it. Like you say, I mean, oh, my God. You, we, Midsummer Night's Dream opened in the snow and closed in a heat wave. But um, do you remember... Um, twelfth night opened in torrential rain we never every tech session was torrential rain so we never came to the front of the stage until until into the run did we because it was so and that was all about a temp you know this big shipwreck and we teched it all and just being doused by the skies it was sort of amazingly elemental
1: yeah and there was a building that was highly charged it's highly charged on a, a very short history actually But it's there's a kind of it's made to be this kind of sacred place where every action that you undertake in it is is a big gesture when it just isn't. It's just about being creative and experimenting things. And there's no doubt, I mean, your season brought in audiences and they loved the shows and that's sort of that's the winner isn't it more than did you respect so and so's i don't know idea of what this should be or idea of what that should be and of course you know you're you're on you were right to be uncompromised because you were you're a creative person and it doesn't fit in someone else's idea I don't know I'm still processing it I don't quite know exactly what happened sometimes I wake up and I think wow was that you know did we underestimate sort of the power of some of the stakeholders at the time and but I don't know you were just being yourself weren't you you weren't yeah. pretending to try and be provocative or try and be something else. You no. were just trying to be yourself. I just was being myself. I wasn't even
0: trying to be myself. I think I think I wasn't being as political as you need to be in that situation, I guess. But then I whenever I come down to it, I think I would never have behaved differently. I might have understood the implications more. But ultimately I'm I made fantastic work, amazing companies, good things happened to great success you know I wouldn't have changed a thing really and you know lucky two magic years tell me about yeah. your next um,
1: choice so Lynn Collins rock me again and again 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 um, not in any reference to any shows but mainly because most of the time when I think of you I do think of you dancing in a rehearsal space or elsewhere and this song just purely makes me I cannot hear it without dancing and I'm a big Lynn Collins fan um, and I am desperate for something to come and rock me again and again and again and again and I do not know what this next bit will be but I am sure that you will be rocked again and that I cannot wait to be rocked again. So, um, yeah, here's to seeing, meeting and dancing.
4: Get funky! Ow, huh.
0: I love it. Oh, we will die. We had some great parties as well. I wanted to bring us to a sort of more specific time because in the wake of all the upset, um I had to make a decision whether I stayed or whether I left and I decided to stay for one more season, which the Globe wanted me to as well, because it was it would have been a disaster to try and recruit another artistic director. So um I made a decision to go for the next season. It was quite hard because I didn't I didn't know whether I would have a healed enough heart to make work but we did we went for it with you and with Matthew we decided the team the the heart at theatre is their name we we decided to go for it and we called it the summer of love um and I think that's just what we decided to do is create love at every step of the um way but it was a tough year wasn't it because it was the Brexit vote um which rocked our world and rocked London I must have rocked you as a European living in England. Um, so, and, and I remember the, the, the wonderful team at the Swan in at the Globe, the, the restaurant, who looked after me amazingly the whole time I was there. But almost all their staff were from overseas. And I remember the day after the Brexit vote, somebody, one of the, the wonderful waiters, in tears saying, you know, I didn't know we weren't wanted. me saying, you are, you are, I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. But it felt like that was one of the first blows that hit us that year. What did Brexit feel like to you?
1: Well, it sort of happened in stages. But at that time, I lived in Hackney and I had quite a sort of community of friends which came from all over the world. And as soon as the sort of Brexit vote fell, um. I'd say 80% left just because it sent the signal that they weren't welcome anymore so I sort of really lived it as a sort of most of my friends left they all sort of went away and I guess for a lot of the work I've done has been I sort of strongly believe in the wealth of understanding different cultures um I think it gives you a different perspective on the world. If you can just put yourself in somebody else's shoes and look at it differently, just like maybe the globe might not have happened if there was a sort of more openness of cultural understanding. Um, And I sort of saw, it was heartbreaking Brexit because it it felt like everything that I believed in about building bridges between countries was suddenly closing in. And I knew Britain was quite insular, but my God, I tried to do, so I worked with, for years I worked with, um, we co-directed with a director called Renato Rocha, who's Brazilian, and I also set up Uh, what's now run by the French Institute, the Cross Channel Theatre, which takes French new writing into the UK and I'm part of the same group in France, which takes English speaking playwrights over to France. And that idea of a culture exchange is, I just think it's like the basic of keeping an open mind and it's so necessary to sort of for the health of everybody. And Brexit represented that kind of closing of the curtain. It meant it was conditional from then on. It meant that exchange would be under scrutiny. Only some things would leak, some things anyway. So, and I guess now I'm really feeling it. Now with um, the whole lockdown, my family's back in France. I haven't seen them in months, and I miss them madly. And my brother's been ill, so I really, really miss them. And that's been really hard. Um, And I and the sort of you follow the news, and you see the escalation of tensions over a vaccine or over any kind of excuse that's then been taken to prevent exchange between the two countries. And I just think we're going to lose at it. We're really going to lose. There's nothing good that can come out of that. There is nothing good apart from selfishness. Um, And I'm saying that, and I'm not a big European believer. I don't believe in the European Union as a kind of democratic force, but I certainly believe in the exchange between people and cultures. And unfortunately, Brexit is preventing a lot more of it. It's making it a lot more difficult. Um, There's no European money for exchanges. There's just no contact, smaller contact between countries. And that's really sad. And that what we don't say is that in a few generations' time, it just builds insular minds. Or you go abroad and consume is, yeah. anyways, but... Well, I'm sorry,
0: just personally. And, you know, it was as I say, it was such a shock and to have one of my closest friends being French and a, and a European, uh, it was such a shock. So many things. And I also want to remember at that time, because we had a few shocks. Um, so we were all mending our broken hearts. Brexit happened, our hearts were broken again. And then um we the, the summer of love opened with um daniel kramer's romeo and juliet which got the worst set of reviews ever known i loved it i absolutely loved it it was wild and crazy and and vibrant audiences loved it but it was a sort of crazy show that had uh, you know sort of been very controversial I don't know why I say that. It doesn't really matter. But one night, the show came down. I was actually home. It must have been a Friday or Saturday. And I got the call because there was the Borough Market terrorist attacks. And a lot of our staff were walking home through Borough Market at that time. And thank the gods above that nobody I knew was killed in that attack. But we did know people that were trapped, that couldn't get home, that had to be um, shelter in, in restaurants. And it felt like another stab to the heart. It felt like the world. I felt like the the gods around me were were crumbling at that time, and I
1: and it was so, so frightening. Um, first Romeo and Juliet. David Craigs Romeo and Juliet was one of my favourite shows of the Globe. But um, yeah. So I knew somebody in the attacks at London Bridge, uh, a friend of a friend who I'd sort of hung out with a couple of times and then a really dear childhood friend of mine died in the Paris attacks. So it felt really close but it's there's no reasoning is there it's just mad people and very early on my dad died when I was a teenager and I think very suddenly um But I think it just reminds, it reminds, I don't know how fragile and how fast life can disappear. And I guess what I've, I don't know, it always feels that theater is a place of that extreme, really. Um, And that it keeps going, but it is a place where those extreme emotions and those extreme events um, have a place to tell that story.
0: Well, wow, you're very philosophical. I feel rather sort of moved thinking about it. I sort of felt that the world was crumbling at that time. And you say that we carried on, but there was one project, which I think about more often than I should, which was, it was the 50th anniversary of Sergeant Peppers um, and the Summer of Love. And a, a young guy actor I think called Guy Hargreaves wrote to me and said would I consider um, hosting a a sort of part of a sing-along a sort of mass cut national sing-along of All You Need Is Love and I just thought I talked to you about it and we just thought what a brilliant thing and we thought we could um, we could we could um, project the Beatles singing it on the side of the globe and just invite the world to come and sing midnight one night all you need is love people kept telling us it wasn't possible we kept saying it was possible Um, Simon Baker was working out how we could get the projection Heart at theatre kept saying we can do this and I just kept thinking what an amazing thing to do at this time of division to bring everybody together with a simple sing-along and we went a really long way down the line and then the borough market attacks happened and we just felt we couldn't have a gathering a mass gathering on the south bank and it's one of the few things we failed to do kezia we can thank you for reminding we cancelled yeah. the um sing-along to all you need is love but in many ways that that's the it's it's the event that didn't happen that defines that time for me strangely and it was the bit when we did give up we actually went no we can't risk we can't go out on a limb and risk the lives of people, um, and, but that was how how sort of dramatic it had got by that point.
1: It was, it was, it was, it was so heightened. It was such a heightened. What a brilliant project that would have been.
0: I know, I know, I know. We should do, again. We should do the uh, the fifty third anniversary. You know that classic round number yeah but listen tell me before i say goodbye and play my last choice um you're now living in bristol with the brilliant dave johnsy dave, I think, am i yeah. allowed to say that you're engaged i just have you are
1: allowed we've now been two years engaged <laughs> keeping the marathon on <laughs> um we will have a big party and you better have a wedding
0: but i also like um, to think that that's true love story was born out of the globe so all you need is love is very um fitting end to that story
1: i mean that was the summer of love emma that was the summer of love for me
0: well there you go then my work is done is all i can say (laughs) Um, thank you so much for sharing team biscuits with me um here's to the next chapter eh when there will be dancing it's going to be a trip to paris can we double yes, the please. for that trip? Can it just be you and me and some wine bars? Of course we can. Excellent. Of course we can. Excellent. And some shopping. God, I miss shopping. <laughs> drinking, chatting, dancing, shopping, anything, anything, all the sensual pleasures, which is what I associate with you. So, Kezia Sorrell, before I say goodbye, can I just say I am your biggest fan. You always bring to mind that Shakespearean quote though she is little, she is fierce. And you are, you are so dedicated, energetic, focused, fun, and present in life, completely present. I trust you with everything, with work, with life, and with my dreams. You've been loyal and brilliant from the moment we met, always giving above and beyond as a colleague and a friend. You are a wonder and you work wonders. And I wish you just such huge love and success for the next chapter when we're out of this lockdown. I love you and your huge, generous French spirit. Thank you for everything. I look forward to all the adventures we've got to come. Thank you, Emma. Thank you so much. So, I'm going to play us out with All You Need Is Love, the event that never happened, and the event that defines that time, and what I feel for you. Thanks, Kezia.
4: nothing you can say but you can learn how to play the game, it's easy, nothing you can make but can't be made, no one you can save but can't be saved, nothing you can do but you can learn
3: how to be you in time.
4: be
0: like To share on Tea and Biscuits, leave us a message on our phone line 0117 318 3846. That's 0117 318 3846. Keep checking our social media for details of our next show. Tea and Biscuits is part of Wise Children's Lockdown. Thanks for hanging out with us. Bye.